0: Just love the game, you know, play like you love it, play with passion and compete. And um, yeah, it, it shows, it shows when we watch a game and we watch kids time and time and time again, like you're being evaluated over the course of of um, the entire season. And, and, and actually over the course of three years, you know, for kids that are in junior, like if you don't get drafted when you're 17, we're drafting kids when they're 19 all the time. So uh, don't be discouraged by it, you know, play because you love it. And it'll show up. And uh... that was
1: Jeff Finley, former NHL player and now scout for the Winnipeg Jets. And you are listening to the Up My Hockey podcast with Jason Podolan. Hello there and welcome back to the Up My Hockey podcast with Jason Podolin. I am Jason Podolin, and you are listening to episode number 81 of the Up My Hockey series. And today we are talking with Jeff Finley. Jeff Finley is a 700 game NHLer. Uh, he is a Vernon minor hockey product just like myself Uh, He ended up going the WHL route and played with the Portland Winterhawks, where he was a 55th overall draft pick to the New York Islanders. Jeff went on to play with the Islanders. Um, his, His story is interesting in and of the fact that he was a journeyman, for lack of a better word, in the pro ranks. He, he definitely got NHL games, but he was up and down, up and down between the NHL and the AHL. Never a guy that could really establish himself at the NHL, would live out of hotels uh, for for the better part of five, six seasons. Uh, Jeff became an NHL regular, finally like a solidified regular at 29 years of age and ended up playing until he was 36. So it took Jeff a, a little bit to find his game. Uh, as he says in this interview, he talks about his own personal development, and his own personal kind of evolution to understand where he fit and how he could play at the NHL level. Uh, so he ended up playing for a lot of teams. He was, played with the Islanders. He played with the Flyers. He played with the Jets and the Coyotes, the Rangers. Uh, we talk about his experience with Chris Pronger, playing with him for five years, played with Wayne Gretzky. He played with Eric Lindros and, um, and uh, Keith Tkachuk. So he was around a lot of great players, uh, I mean, well, 700 games, will do that. So what an, what an amazing pro career. We definitely cover uh, Jeff's career, but we also cover what he's doing now as a hockey dad. Uh, he has three boys, uh, Max, Mason, and Jack. Jack is the oldest who's already been drafted as a second rounder to Tampa Bay. Uh, Mason is in Calgary with the Hitman right now, who's hoping to get drafted either this year or next. And he has his youngest son, Max, in um, in Rink Academy playing for Jerome McGinley in his Bantam draft here in the WHL. So he has a dad's perspective on, on all this as well and what he's trying to do for his boys and, and what's the best thing for him and the decisions that he's been made. And so we, we talk about that in this episode. And we also talk about what Jeff's doing right now, which is scouting for the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, his day to day he 's an amateur scout for the jets, so his job is to go around and to find the best 18 year old talent in in uh, in western North America is essentially his range and uh, so he watches a ton of hockey and he 's trying to project talent uh, not only uh, and by why I say project is because yeah we can go to the games and watch who 's really good right now, but we're really trying to see who's going to be what they 're going to be in five years in four, five six years uh, when they become NHL ready so it's an evolving science. Uh, Science is a very loose word because it's not a science. As Jeff says in this, you mean I can look at some player and he can look at some player and we can have two different responses. So there's uh, very objective is what he does, but he loves what he does. And, and we talk about some of the things that he looks for in players, some of the things that can separate players from the competition and uh, and some of the methods and, and and strategy he has when trying to uncover uh, who these players are as people and, and how much that means to him when, he's, uh, when, when he will say a name at the draft day table that he wants to root for. So really great conversation. We talked for, geez, over over an hour. Um, I promised, Jeff, we'd talk for an hour. It ended up being an hour and 20 minutes, as so it goes. And I'm sure we, we could still be on the phone right now as there's so much to talk about with hockey. But lots of gold nuggets uh, sprinkled throughout this uh, this interview. Really interesting. Jeff's a, Jeff's a really well-spoken um, man and uh, and has a lot of experience in the game. And, and as I said before, on all these different levels, as a, as a player himself, as a minor league player, as a, as a draft-eligible player, as an NA. NH- player um and then as a hockey dad now uh, ha- following his his kids through the through the process to trying to come pros themselves and also as an nhl scout uh projecting talent and and uh, observing talent so uh i know you're going to enjoy this one uh i'll we'll get straight into the interview uh now with jeff finley Welcome to the podcast. So this is episode 81, and we have Jeff Finley here, who is uh, somebody that I ended up playing against, uh, I think on more than one occasion, but I was joking with you the other day there, Finner, when I actually saw a VHS tape of us on the same ice uh, in in Hartford other so we go back a ways we we've also uh crossed paths at some golf events and uh and now you're living in Kelowna and we see each other at rinks from time to time so Jeff thanks so much for joining us I know it's going to be a great conversation absolutely my pleasure um yeah so as we talked a little bit before we even got going here is like the, the podcast itself like my my idea for it was geez there's so much that I know, my parents wish they would have known or could have known, and I wish I would have known after the fact. And like that was the impetus, right? Like to talk to people who have been there, their own journeys, uh, their challenges, their successes, and and hopefully others can you know learn and navigate the space a little better. And uh, for you being a guest, one you're an NHLer, you're. Uh, you know, uh, as they call a journeyman for a while till you became an established NHLer. Uh, and then now you have kids that are going through it. Now you're also an NHL scout, which is fantastic because there's so many things that we can get into there. Uh, but first, I want to talk just about you and being a WHL player and leaving home early. Like, what was your own minor kind of hockey youth experience like? Were you one of those guys that uh, was, was labeled from an early age as, as being someone that would, that would wear an NHL jersey? Or did you have a different route?
0: Well, I, I don't know. I don't know if I'd say NHL jersey. I think um, you know, growing up in Vernon, you know, playing my minor hockey in Vernon, um, we had some good players, and I don't know why, because Vernon wasn't up until you know our, the the players that came before us wasn't really a hockey hotbed. Um, but then myself, Brent Gilchrist, drafted by the Montreal Canadiens, had a great NHL career. Another guy that was a good friend of ours. Um, that played all the way up with us was Bruce Major, drafted by the Quebec Nordiques, had a a scholarship at the University of Maine. So the three of us sort of seemed to get the ball rolling there. And after us, you know, yourself and a whole bunch of great players came, younger players came after us. But um, I think we were good players in in the province. You know, we we only played in the province. Um, There was no academies, obviously, or anything like that back then. No spring hockey. Every second year was our second year, 10 year old, 12 year old, 14 year old. We were usually at the provincials. We won the provincials when we were 12. So we had, we had a good nucleus of players and we were the three best players, um, that had a chance to go somewhere in hockey. Um, so I would say to you, yeah, we were good yeah. players back then. Um, but to say, oh, yeah, well, these guys are going to be NHLers. No, I don't, th- I don't think that right. was the case. Um, and there was no, there was no uh bantam draft back then so you just got listed by teams and it wasn't really heavily scouted they didn't talk to a lot of scouts
1: how did that go because i remember it was just transitioning when i went through right and i think you're maybe 10 years my senior what we when were you born? born 67 yeah okay so i'm a 76 so yeah my draft year there was three of us that had been listed at that point in my draft year. So, like the, the subsequent year was the first year where everybody eligible was available. Um, Cause I was listed at 13 years old. Uh, were you listed at 13? Is that when you got no, no. So, that
0: was the thing. The team couldn't list you till your 15th birthday. Mm. So, essentially, after the end of your or sometime in your second year of your Bantam season. So, I got listed on my 15th birthday by Portland. And then, that was the only team. And I I think, if I remember correctly, back then, if if multiple teams wanted you, it was basically your choice. So they would all put in a claim, I guess, to list you on your birthday. Uh, Portland was the only one. Um, And then I got a call from the Seattle scout a couple days later apologizing, say you had the wrong birthday. He he liked me and would have listed me, uh, and he he missed me. But other than that, that, Portland was the only team that showed any interest. Gotcha. Interesting. Yeah. Cause they
1: did, they ended up changing it then at some point to be 13, which is actually crazy. Wow. Cause I mean, that's young. Yeah. And then you took up, I took up three spots on that that's roster. Weird. Right. So it was three spots on the 50 player roster and they had to hold you for a while. And, um, and yeah. I mean, and then they changed that too because it wasn't my choice. I mean, I mean, and this isn't about me, but I mean, at that age, I was like Western Canada good kind of, right? You know, oh, yeah. And, and yeah. so there was a lot of pl- teams that put in for me and Spokane made some arrangement with Moose Jaw, who's lowest in the standings, to take me. And then they then they made some backdoor deal or whatever for me to end up being with Spokane. So, and then they ended up switching that around. So, I, I mean, I totally remember that whole process and the listing process. Um, did you end up going then at 16? It looked like you did from hockey DB where you were a 16-year-old in, in Portland.
0: No, I, I wasn't. Um, I played in uh, – so the Kelowna Buckaroos were a long-established junior A team here in Kelowna, um, and the Kelowna Wings, which ended up being the Spokane Chiefs, uh, moved into town as a Western Hockey League. I don't know if they're an expansion team or if they moved from another franchise. I think they moved somewhere. But they moved to town. The, the Kelowna Buckaroos then moved their franchise to Summerland so i played the first year when i was 16 in summerland for the summerland buckaroos who had an affiliation with the port of winterhawks there was three or four of us that were their property they had mm-hmm. to deal i know they gave them some equipment probably some money we were guaranteed spots in the team and that's where i played when i was 16. gotcha so your rookie year in the dub was your nhl draft year exactly yeah wow how did that go for you it was tough i mean uh The the league was tougher back then. I was a skilled, you know, power play type offensive defenseman. Um, So you had to learn to play harder and tougher. Uh, So, and we had a, Ken Hodge was a pretty famous coach back then. Um, He was hard on us. Uh, So the first up until Christmas, I would say it was tough. I I played, I want to say I played most of the games, if not all of them, but I didn't play much. Yeah. Uh, there's lots of games where I would, wouldn't play a whole lot. And then after Christmas, uh, I really took off, got a lot of points, was playing more, started to really establish myself, and then got on the radar for the draft after Yeah, Christmas. I mean, you had a good season considering
1: that start. I mean, 50 points in 69 games I'm seeing here now. Uh, I think I had
0: 44 in the last 44. Right. Yeah. Which is...
1: So with that, with you having that experience now uh, and trying to figure it out in your draft year, would you be from the side of the fence if they want you at 16 to get there at 16? Or, or do you think it, there's more to it than just just that?
0: That's a, that's a tough one. I have a lot of debates with people about that. I think, you know, and I'll, actually I'll bring up my, my middle son who's going through it right now. Um, he's in Calgary. He's a late birthday 17-year-old so essentially next year's his draft year he's in and out of the lineup when he plays on the fourth line uh plays six minutes he's never really been given any opportunity to move up the lineup to to grab any more of a larger role so he's kind of got pigeonholed there it's frustrating it's very frustrating would he have been better off to play junior a or midget I don't know like I see growth in his game I see growth in his personality he's matured he's happy he's loving it um so it's it's a tough call you know if he comes back next year and all of a sudden you know he's stronger he's he's really skinny and weak, so that's part of his issue. but if he comes back and he's stronger and he hits the ground running and you know he's in the top six top nine and playing regular and, and having a great year, then this year was worth it you know even though it's been frustrating, hard for him, frustrating for me to watch, it's been tough maybe maybe it was worth it I don't know it's a tough call it really right. is. Do you think? uh, And I
1: think, I think that when, when, like, because what's hard? Well, one is hard because it's it's a bigger, stronger, faster league. So I mean, there's physical elements to that leveling up, but it's going to be hard. I think no matter what your age is, about everything else that's happening there, like the leaving away from home and you know managing the junior route and like the you know the the way the coaches deal with you and being in a lower uh, lower responsibility zone. Like, so all that's mentally challenging. Like, do you think like one thing I talk to parents about and, and you know, I mean correct me or, or give me your opinion if it's any different but like a lot of times we don't look at the emotional capacity or 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 the or the, the personality of the kid right like and I right. think that's a big one like it's not just the hockey skills but it's like is he gonna thrive there is he capable of doing that because you don't want to crush a kid because there's a lot going on there outside of hockey too you know you're
0: 100 100 right billets um you know schooling it, it's hard you know you know playing junior hockey going to school where you you, you know they're they're demanding of you to make sure that your your grades are are up. So um, you know, you might get in from a long road trip and then have to get up first thing in the morning and, and get to school. Like it's it's very hard. So I think that's all a part of it. A part of it too is to know where you're going, to know the organization, how how they treat kids, how they handle kids, you know, what you're getting yourself into. Uh, I think that is a part of it too, for sure. You know, Calgary in every other aspect of him, you know, not playing all the time has been great. He's been very happy. He's got great billets. Um, they're on him to get his schoolwork done because um, it's it's not natural for him. So all that stuff has been very, very good. You know, the, the older players on the team he loves, they treat him like gold, you know, for a young guy. Um, he's fit in great that way. So no issues with anything else other than he's kind of got – pigeonholed into this fourth line in and out of the lineup every other night
1: <clears throat> right yeah I mean I, I reflect on Jerome McGinley's interview that I had with him and and I mentioned it before we even started and, and I didn't know the conversation is go here but I mean Jerome McGinley Hall of Fame Heart Trophy finalist Jerome McGinley when he went to Kamloops he played like 44 games that year or something because he was a healthy scratch yeah, right? like yeah, he, yeah he often wouldn't play till the third period and so we had like a similar conversation I'm like do you think that was the best thing for you and he was like as hard as it was, he's like, it was exactly what it was. It was the best thing for me because I got to see the league. I got to be around the, these great players. You know, I got right. to like even the humbleness of it, right? Like to be, yeah. to be a part of that, you know? So then the next next year you appreciate that much more. So he said, it's not for everyone. And he said, there was times where I was considering like, yeah, potentially I'd need to go home, but he's like, yeah doing it and like, and living it, like, I think that builds that resiliency, right? Yeah, and, that, for sure. oh, and
0: you're yeah. practicing every day, you know, yeah. you're part of the practice and that's going to make you better. Just that part of it as well. Yeah.
1: It's a, it's a tough one though, for parents to watch. I can imagine yeah. my boys aren't there yet, but it's like, oh, you want, right. obviously oh, yeah. you want, you want, right. And yeah. I know the kids, yeah. they want too. but, um, yeah, I mean, so going back to you, so you, you end up showing up there, um. Have, have, and we all know it was different. The league was tough. The coaches were tough. There wasn't much communication going on. There was a lot of uh, figure it out ability, right? Go figure yep. it out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what was, what was like, once you got on that NHL radar, and I know even, like, the world was different back then, too. Like, you had to get the hockey news probably to even know what was going on. Uh, did you know you were on a – you were potentially going to get drafted and somewhat pretty high, or how was that?
0: Uh, yeah, but, again, it wasn't until after Christmas. And I didn't go into it thinking, like, this is my draft year. You know, I got to have a good year. I didn't really – I was just excited to, to be on the team. Um, and then, you know, Brian Shaw – was a pretty famous guy back then. He uh, he started to talk to me after Christmas and say, hey, listen, you're getting on the radar. Um, we have some agents that are calling, wanting to represent you, stuff like that. So then it started to sink in a little bit. Um, and they did have central scouting back then. So you were able to find out, you know, where, where you sort of were ranked and stuff like that. So, yeah, I started to think about it, I guess, the second half of the season. And it started to sink in a little bit and it was getting exciting. Gotcha. And it didn't seem to impact you because, you I mean, you're a
1: point of game. I know not, everything, not everything's about production all the time, but it wasn't something that got in your head at all. Like you you were able to manage manage that that pressure, I guess, if you, for lack of a better word.
0: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I don't remember a lot about it back then. But yeah, no, I think it was just about maybe just, you know, we. it was a good organization. The Portland Winterhawks back then had just come off winning the Memorial Cup. So it was a, one of the top organizations in all of junior hockey so I guess they knew what they were doing in developing players you know even though it seemed like it was a little hard at the time but yeah. uh I got better and uh you know I just played right did uh,
1: any draft day stories like did did you go out and have the meetings and and, and get flown around
0: at all or what do you remember about your No, draft nothing about that I mean Donnie Meehan was my agent um he was a young and up-and-comer at the time and Brian Shaw just said, Hey, this is Donnie me you don't have anybody go with Donnie man. Okay, great. So, but he also had Wendell Clark. So he had a bunch of guys out of the Western league, Wendell Clark being uh, the, the biggest one. And the draft was in Toronto um, the, when they took Wendell Clark that year in 85. So I was hanging around with Wendell and uh, a bunch of other guys from the Western hockey league. So that was pretty cool. And just to have my parents there and, um, you know, i kind of went about where i thought i was gonna or where i was ranked by central scouting so you know there, i didn't have to sit there and, and dread you know uh, you know in the later rounds oh my god am i gonna sure. get drafted at all so i didn't go through that process so it was a great experience it was really cool i'm really gra- glad that uh, my parents got to be there and obviously like anyone who ever makes it you know they're such a big part of helping you get there so that was pretty neat and, and just being around you know, the excitement of, uh, you know, Donnie in and his clients and Wendell and hanging out with all of them uh, for the weekend was pretty neat.
1: We, uh, you, you're actually, pre- or, or uh, Wendell preceded you on my guest list. And I, I had no idea that he won WHL Defenseman of the Year. Yeah. The year he got drafted first overall and he showed up at camp and on the door to the locker room, he was a left winger. Like, I, I know I mentioned that to you, but isn't that a remarkable yeah. story to me? Like,
0: that's you talented. saw him that year. Like, what was he like as a demon? He was a bull. Like, he just skated, like, like, he was a powerful skater and had a cannon of a slap shot. Yeah. We only played him once, I think, uh, because the leagues weren't crossing over that much. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he was uh, dominant. He was a late birthday. So he was a, he got drafted. He was a year older than the rest of us. Gotcha. Yeah. He was, uh, he was dominant as a defenseman. That's crazy. I know. So, so going from the
1: draft and then you played, it looks like another two years uh, in, in Portland there. What was that transition or the first, uh, your first camp? Like, I mean, that's always usually a pretty interesting eye opener to show up at a, at an NHL camp um, and any stories from
0: or memories from those days. Well, just the fact that it was the Islanders coming off of their um, four cup runs. So they were in in the transition of turning the team over. But by the time I got there, a lot of them were gone. But when I was going to my first camps, they were still there. So just, you know, Bossy, Trachier, Podvin, Gillies, Nystrom, like they were all there at my first camp. So that just... Being on the same ice with those guys, being around the locker room, just interacting with those guys was just uh, surreal, really. It was incredible, incredible, intimidating, to say the least.
1: How were those guys? Did anyone, did anyone you know, make an impression on you over taking a little extra time or, or, or any of that? Uh,
0: I would say they were all fantastic, to be honest. Uh, Bobby Nystrom, uh, just an absolutely gem of a person. Um, a guy that would go out of his way to make you feel comfortable. Uh, my first roommate ever, this is getting it. Fast track in a couple of years. My first roommate ever on the road when I got called up was Brian trachier Um, outstanding, outstanding person. Just, just a great guy. So yeah, for the most part, you know, they they kind of skated at training camp. Training camp was way different back then. They skated as a group themselves with a few minor league guys that you know may have had a chance to crack the lineup. And then the rest of us were divided the rest of the camp. So we weren't around them every day, all day, but But the time we did interact with them, um, they were pretty, pretty special guys. What was your approach then
1: uh, just to the idea of being an Islander and becoming, you know, an NHLer? You know, you're, you're excelling at junior. I know that the off season isn't nearly like what it was like now, you know, like where these guys almost don't take any time off at all. Uh, But was there any like did they talk to you or did you have an idea that I'm going to be a New York Islander and that was like a big goal or like how how did you have what was your personal approach to to trying to make that jump
0: well I I mean I wish I had the knowledge that the kids have now uh about training I was real skinny and weak when I turned pro I was I was six 287 pounds um didn't train properly didn't have the proper diet and all that kind of stuff so uh, that was part of what took me so long to get established was I was just really weak um, back in that era of how hard and physical a game was. Um, but so I think, you know, I just, um, they were obviously, like I said, they were turning the team over. Uh, they wanted new fresh blood. I was an offensive guy coming out of junior. Um, I remember there was a big article in the New York news day about, big skates to fill talked about me taking over for Dennis Potman to run the power play. I was just like, Oh my gosh, like, are you kidding me? So that was sort of the expectations that they had on me in the organization. Um, I just wasn't ready. I don't know if I was ever even good enough to ever be running a power play in the NHL, but I wasn't ready for that. It took me time. Um, You know, and then I had a major knee injury in my second year pro, but up until then, I think you're just sort of, I don't know if you put as much thought into it um, as you just sort of take it as it comes. You go to camp, you just play hockey, right? I wish I had done more preparation and made it more of a goal, um, especially in my off-ice stuff that I was doing back then. Right.
1: Just take a short break from the podcast too. Give a shout out to Verbero Hockey. Verbero Hockey is somebody that I've been associated with now for the past year. Uh, it is a hockey company that brings high quality products direct to teams and players. And part of the way they market their products is through people like me uh, as being an ambassador. I have used the products now myself uh, for over a year. And one of the products that I'm really excited about is their stick uh, the Mercury 350 by Verbero. Uh, this stick is phenomenal looking. It's it's uh, it's an all black uh, design, and it is super light, and it's super responsive, and it's really durable. And one of the things about Verbero is is that they provide these products, these top level products um, that would be comparable to your top of the line CCM Bauer True Stick. You, know, you insert uh, insert the blank there for the brand you wanna you wanna uh, compare it to yet they bring these products at a discounted price. Because the, you can't find these products in sports stores, uh, you, you have to go to their website, you have to hear about them through people like me or p- other players that have used the product, and then you get these products shipped direct to your door. Uh, because they are able to do it that way, they're able to give you price breaks on the product. So instead of paying $350 for a stick, you are paying $250 for, for Barrow stick, which is the same quality as the $350 stick. So as I said, I've vetted this product now. Um, And they've come out with the youth line sticks, youth intermediate and junior line sticks. They didn't have those in the market before. They only had the senior level, uh, which was I I was using in practice. Really loved the stick. But I didn't want to talk about it until they had the junior product. And I want to see what that was all about. But my boys have used it now. I know a lot of people in my ecosystem have have ordered the stick. Uh, Everyone loves the stick. Um, So I am... I'm an honest campaigner for it. And one of the advantages of being one of their reps is that you and a listener of mine is that you can get 5% off the product just by using uh, my my discount code, which is PADOLAN. So if you go to Vibero.com or .ca, um, use my discount code, which is PADOLAN, you'll get an extra 5% off your order. One of the amazing things about Verbero is now, too, is if you buy two or three sticks, you get price increases. So um, an already discounted stick uh, against a competitor gets to be even uh, a greater value, up to 15 25% off if you use my discount code. So check it out, www.verbero.com or .ca. Um, forward slash Padolan is, is the discount code. Uh, I promise you, you're going to be happy with the stick. The, the, the stick is great. If you're looking to save money and use a top of the line product, uh, I'm all about it. So uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's my shout out for Verbero. Uh, I'm happy to be involved with them and I'm happy to support what they got going there. I know uh, Andy Sutton, uh, past guest in this program is, uh, is doing great things there with, with Verbero and uh, happy to be a part of their, of their crew. So now back to the episode with Jeff Finley. Yeah, the mental side is so important in that aspect, isn't it? Right. Like yeah. the what your intention is. And that's why I asked, because you know, I would show up, and yes, I would, you know, I definitely would want to earn a spot, but it wasn't like like when I when I interviewed Nasher, Tyson Nash, and you might have even been at that camp. Like he talked about like he had he had hopped a team and he ended up at, at St. Louis and he kind of felt like it was his last hurrah, sort of like he needed right. to make a statement. And, uh, and there was just like a massive amount of conviction that he was going to get noticed, you know, and that he was going to do what it took. And I never really showed up like with that level of,
0: you know, just, right? yeah, intense. You were a different right. type of player though, right? Yeah, true. Like, so were you projected as a top six forward? Yeah. Because that comes with its own pressure too, right? You got to yeah. produce. Yeah. Yeah. And that
1: was back in the era too, like where, yeah, you mean, you where they would call you up in that scenario of them, like having you projected to be that, but then they would give you fourth line minutes and tell you, you didn't produce and put you yeah. back down to the minus, you know, yeah. like where yeah. it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, but um, no. Yeah. Like for, for me, it was actually like, Florida was a really great, like there wasn't much pressure there. It was like, you know, third line, kind of, you know, maybe fourth line. And they'd fill you in on the PP and that was my rookie, rookie season and just that whole gradual kind of development it wasn't like thrust into a top six and it was going to be like i everything really felt comfortable there and then when i got traded to toronto that was a whole different ball of wax like just like the whole way they treated you and you know everything was just different there um but you got to be ready to adapt and that's the thing that's one of the things i'm most passionate about right now is like having that mental capacity or ability or whatever word you want to use there to be able to understand what the opportunity is in front of you and be able to deal with it. You know? Yeah, um, absolutely. Because sometimes it's not that obvious even how to deal with it. Yeah. You know, yeah. like how to get your foot in the door and how to stay Yeah, there.
0: I think the kids are better prepared now, you know, they're surrounded by more people that are more involved with everything that's going on, you know? So yeah, I think that helps a lot. I certainly like, like you talked and talk about off ice training. Well, they would send me a, summer program, the Islanders would like go to it, you know, and I would I would find a gym somewhere and burn in there and uh, end up being bodybuilding type stuff. And it wasn't hockey specific, you know, and it just wasn't, that was it though. And then you showed up and like, are you in shape? You know, Uh, cardio was not even a a major thing back then. You know, we skated more than anything for cardio. Um, So yeah, it was, it was different times for sure. Yeah. Way different.
1: Um, Did you have any, well, yes, you did. I mean, you already said, like, as far as like that, that moment where you walk into a room and it's like, holy shit, these guys are like, yeah. these guys are guys I watched or I mean, emulated. And I, I said that to Wendell last time, like in Florida, it wasn't really like that because they were a new organization. And, right, you know, right. like everyone kind of was a journeyman. So there was no like real big star power there. But then like going to toronto and like i'm on wendell clark's line right and my roommates tiedomi, domi and like it was like holy like clarky was one of those guys that i like i really emulated growing up and i thought that he was just fantastic so it that was a whole different scenario of like wow like i'm one of these guys you know really? and like yeah even yeah. getting your head around that you know absolutely yeah did yeah. you did you have any of those moments yourself
0: Uh, I, well, I guess the first, my first call up, you know, and, and like I said, rooming with Brian Tracci and it's like, wow, this is, uh, this is pretty cool. And then just playing the games. Well, even, uh, I played exhibition games that year. So that kind of sunk in. Um, and you, you know, there wasn't as much, my, my parents didn't get to see it, so they, they couldn't get it on TV or anything. So I remember the call after to my dad and, uh, one of the things that happened in my first exhibition game was Bobby Smith. I forget who, who he was playing for at the time, but the big centerman, you know, he came across the blue line and it was more of a f- freaky fluke thing than anything, but I put a shoulder into him and absolutely laid him out with a big hit. And I, I'll never forget that. Um, and then making the call to my dad because he knew who Bobby Smith was and just stuff like that. And then, yeah, like I said, in my first game played in the Buffalo auditorium and and it just, it's like, wow, you know, it's uh it's pretty surreal, I guess is the word. Did you have to answer the bell on the Bobby Smith hit? No, I didn't. I didn't actually. No, which was a surprise back then.
1: Any uh, any scenarios in that with the physicality department back in that era where you where you had to do something that you wouldn't normally
0: do? Oh gosh, I mean that stuff happened even back in junior. I mean, we had a we had a bench clearing brawl in Portland with uh, Prince Albert Raiders. Um I don't know how it was back when you were but line brawls were were common. Um I had a bench clearing brawl in my first year pro in Springfield. That was scary. You know, these now you're 20 and it's it's grown men out there in a bench clearing brawl and uh it's it's like wow, this is unreal so yeah. yeah i had lots of scenarios like that did you sure. find
1: like in that scenario did you find somebody that you yeah did someone find you or how did that whole thing no go i mean it show? was so
0: it, to be honest it was so long that that one went on for so long i had a couple of different partners i ended up fighting mark crawford at one point um <laughs> and i don't know how i don't know why i've watched the video of it uh and you know i think it was sort of ingrained in us back then like you, even if you weren't a fighter, you, you had to stick up for your teammates and especially if someone was, was losing, um, and that, and that's how a lot of the line brawl started, you know, someone right. would get, was getting beat up and then all of a sudden everyone would jump in to help and then everyone got paired off. Um, so yeah, so it was, um, yeah, you just sorta, you learn how to do it. Yeah. You learn how to, to survive anyways. Yeah, exactly. Do, what, do, what do you think about that now? Like with uh,
1: the state of even what the BCJ has done, like I mean, one fight and you're out. Um, it seems, well, actually, I, I'll, I'll say that it seems like there is a bit of an uptick in the NHL this year as far as like fighting majors is concerned. But it's, uh, the I've called it the pen, pendulum seems to have swung, right? Like away from some of the physicality and, yeah. and some of the fighting. Do you think, like where's your stance just in general for the benefit of the game or the players that are
0: playing it right now? Well, I think you have to have it right for policing the game um, for sure. Um, It's funny because having boys that are coming up now, I get worried for them, you know, and my oldest son, Jack is six foot six. And one thing I always told him is I always wanted to learn to be a skilled player because, you know, if, if you, I didn't want him to be a big dummy. So yeah. I, I always wanted him to try and learn to be skilled, but I always said, you know, you can't let people take liberties on you as a big guy. You got to stick up for yourself. So He's been able to do that. He can handle himself, but you know, you just get worried that they're going to get hurt in a fight, and so it's a different uh, perspective as a going on. And two guys are dancing around, squared off at center ice. That maybe you can eliminate that, yeah. um, but I think you know it's always going to be a part of the game. Uh, I'm for it um, because if it's if you don't have it, then you know guys can do whatever they want with no accountability, right? So. Yeah. Yeah, you
1: use that word. That's the thing that I like the best, and this accountability, even to play hard. You know, like that's that's the one thing that I liked from our era was like you needed to back up however you were going to play.
0: That's right. That's you right. Know? Yeah. Like if
1: you want to stand in front of the net and cross check me in the back for ten minutes, I and if I want to turn around and make you accountable to that, then I, mm-hmm. I it's my choice to do that. Right. Like. Yeah. Now it seems like, or again, like I'm using the BCJ, because so I'm watching more of that. Like players can do that without the accountability yet no one the the part that blows my mind is that no one really plays that way with no accountability it's like wow like if guys could figure that out it's like
0: boy you could stand out real quick yeah for sure and as a scout I can tell you when guys do do that they do stand out and 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 you're excited for those kind of guys because they're harder to find now for sure right Yeah, yeah for sure yeah um I noticed that uh
1: just with your with your stat line, it took you a little while to get that first NHL goal. Um, do, you, do you remember? Do you remember that that goal and 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 where it came from?
0: Yeah, I was on in uh, Nassau Coliseum against San Jose against Yarmo Millis. I and I want to say it was the sixth or seventh goal in a in a seven two win, like a meaningless yeah end of the third period kind of goal. But yeah, right. yeah. Uh, one thing about me, I was offensive. I was more of a passer playmaker. Uh, I didn't have much of a shot. So it wasn't (laughs) a threat from the blue line, that's for sure.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So walk us through that, just because I find that really compelling. Um, Like when when you became an NHL regular was like 10 years almost into your pro career, it looks like, you know. So and for those of you, like for those of their listening that, I mean, haven't done the pro circuit like that. You know, not having that place that's home, you know, never being told that you can go get a place like and you just know you're in flux. And I assume that was you just looking by, yeah. by the games and stuff like that's a pretty tough existence. You know, like yeah. how was that first 10 years? And maybe walk us through it a little bit.
0: Well, it was hard. I mean, I remember one year up and up and down with the Islanders. I was in a hotel either down in Springfield or up in New York till the end of January. I mean, I, I never did have a, a place. Cause they were kind of like, well, we're not sure. We're not sure if we're going to keep you. But anyways, um, I wasn't ready physically to be a, a regular in the NHL. That's how I would look back in my career. Um, and then I, I had a, a pretty significant knee injury, my second year pro that set me back to. Um, and so I think by the time I was probably feeling comfortable, I think I played 50 some games one year for the Islanders, but they had sort of moved on from me. Um, but I was feeling in my own personal game that I was I was a, I was a regular now. I, I was comfortable with where I was at. Um, I was confident in my abilities to play in the league. And I think my game had evolved where now I wasn't going to be offensive, but I was smart enough to know to be reliable night in and night out defensively. I, could, I had enough skill where I could move the puck out of my zone and make a first pass. So that's kind of what my that's how I evolved as a player and and that's what I became from that point on. But it was um, after with other organizations that I became more of a regular. Uh, But I think I was with the Islanders for six years before that happened. Well, that
1: identity shift is like, I I don't know, you as a scout and you probably with your sons, I assume like for, for a player to figure out what they are, you know, like what they are, yeah. or maybe what, yeah. what they can be, of course, at a young age, too, because you want to have a ceiling. I mean, where can you get to? But like yeah. really embracing what that is and uh, and doing it right. Because yeah. a lot of guys are trying to be something that they're not like for you to make that evolution or to make that transition from somebody who was, you know, the point guy to now you're viewing your success of your own game by how reliable you're being and consistently you're being that way. Was that something that was more of a Uh, maturity on you yourself or was somebody there within the organization kind of helping you with that transition?
0: Well, I think, no, I think it was more myself. I think you sort of figure out that when you're young and offensive and that's all you're thinking about is points, 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 you don't realize, um, you know, getting scored on is is just as important or to not get scored on. Um, And I always felt like I had a bit of a loaded gun to my head as soon as I'd make a mistake and the puck was in the back of my net my ice time or my, I was done for the night, you know, and back down to the minors, I would go. And so I had to learn, like I got to take care of my own end first. And then I just sort of evolved into that. And and then you realize that. And, and I, I guess through coaches talking to you, you know, like, we like what you bring every night, you know, just be consistent, you know, how that's what coaches like, right. They, they want to know what they're getting out of each guy every night. Um, so it's not a big big swings and big uh, roller coasters. So that's, I guess, sort of what I figured out is, okay, you know, don't get scored on. (laughs) And, and that's what sort of established myself from there on. Right. Within that growth,
1: could there have been growth now looking back? Like you said, I mean, again, a lot of times you, and even at the junior level, right, you want to establish yourself as something, and then there could be some evolution or there's just, that's just where it is. Like, could you have, once you established yourself and had that foothold, could you have maybe grown that other side of it or that, that ship had sailed? At I that think point? No, I think
0: you get labeled there. No, other guys, younger guys, newer guys, more skilled guys have come along and taken that spot. Yeah, I had my opportunity early. They wanted me to do it. Well, actually, I believe it was Jeff Norton that came along right after me and, and Jeff Norton became their power play guy All after right. that. So, yeah, I know. Yeah, the windows the windows show small, isn't it? Sometimes, yeah, 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 And sometimes, you know, for other guys, you just they may be down in the minors. They just need an opportunity. You know, just get that chance. I was given that chance, and I kind of blew it early, yeah. but I was able to get get back. I mean, it took a long time. I think I played over four hundred games in the American League, um, but it took a while. But sometimes, yeah, guys just need to get get an opportunity, and then they run with it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, when I reflect on my career, it's kind of funny because how that window, I mean, I think you talk about labels too, right? Like you kind of, you have your prospect time and then all of a sudden that, for yeah. whatever reason, somebody decides that that, went, that door is closed. You could be 23 years old and just because you've been in the league yeah. for a while and you're not a prospect yeah. anymore. You know, like exactly. I've I've said before, like Jason Krog coming out of uh, who turned out to be my my uh, my teammate, his first year pro. But I mean, he was older than me coming out of university, but he was a free agent. Right, And so he signs for a million bucks and he's a rookie in the shiny new penny and I'm leading the team in points, but I'm like washed up and you're yeah. younger than him. Yeah, you know? yeah.
0: no, that's so <laughs> the that way it works. It. I know. Yeah.
1: It's so funny. So, I mean, that's one thing that I really try and get players focused on now is like, you don't know when those opportunities are going to come and you yeah. definitely want to try and be as prepared as you can be for them, you yeah. know, yeah. Um, and recognize that it's an opportunity because well, I think like the player mentality, at least for me, I was like, oh, well, there'll be another chance. You know, yeah, like there'll, be a, yeah. there'll be another call up or something will happen, you know, and then all of a sudden it kind of, it's not there regardless of how well you're doing too yeah.
0: sometimes, right? Well, your, your story about Tyson Nash is a perfect example. Mm-hmm. Like I'm pretty sure I remember that training camp. He came in and he was running around like a, a nut bar back then. Yeah. I think, I think Kelly Chase or, or Tony twist might've went after him. At one he point. He said he wasn't
1: allowed to come on. He said he blew up Pavel Demetra in his first shift. He said he like, he, yeah, he crushed he Demetra. Got- and he had to answer the bell with somebody. I forget who yep. it was. I think yeah. it might have been Chase. Yeah. And then so he fights Chase, if I got the names right. But the best part about the whole thing was he came to the bench because, like, there was no penalty boxes or whatever, right? And the coach wouldn't let, let him back on. <laughs> so he had to stay out after <laughs> yeah. his fight. Yeah. And then he fought again in the corner with somebody else. He came yeah. in the game. And well, he said yeah. it was just like a zoo, but he's like, he just, he, he, yeah. he, got to he do made it. the team. Yeah. 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 He made the team. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic stuff. Um, so I love that you said that you knew, you felt that you belonged and you knew that you kind of like, you, yeah. you felt like you could do that job. And that's one of the biggest things that you have to have that personal belief to, you know, to, yeah. to really do it. Um, is that that time where you, like, was that after that trade from Philly to Winnipeg or like, when did you feel that for the first no, time? No, I
0: think after the year I played the 50 some games in with the Islanders, I was gotcha. comfortable with my, where my game was at. Um, I think there, well, maybe even before that, when you're playing in the minors and, and you feel like you're playing well enough that you, you, you could be called up or you should be up. Um, I think that was part of what kept me going and, and, and not losing hope or losing faith that I felt like I was good enough to play. I just needed to get the opportunity. So um, yeah, I guess. Um, and I did luckily I, I, I got, I moved around to a couple of different organizations and carved out a bit of a career.
1: Really you had hard a great career. And Phoenix was the first stop, or it looks like you didn't have any time in the minors. Like you had a house in Phoenix that, that year, like there were a place, like that was the first Yeah, time. I moved
0: uh, I moved down with the organization. So I played the last year, the Jets were the Jets. Right. Um in 95 96. And then I moved with the organization down to Phoenix the first year they were there. Gotcha. You so, uh
1: I just looked a little bit of the players you were with, like some huge names in the sport you know lindros and Tuchuk and pronger and gretzky, gretzky even you're right gretzky and yeah, yeah. uh in the rangers um they're all super interesting but like one of the players that i wouldn't mind chatting about a bit is is chris pronger because uh you know hockey hall of famer and norris trophy and you know the anyone from our time the young kids don't really know right because they don't do the history but like like there's a player in my mind who is like super skilled, but like really nasty and
0: oh, yeah, and, and yeah. mean, right? Competitive. Legitimate, Legitimate. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, and you talk about that now being a scout, and that's where I want to tie that to, and you said like they're harder to find. But can you talk about like Pronger's makeup, whether it was on the ice or off the ice, and kind of what it was like to practice with him and play with him?
0: Well, I mean, I was there with five and a half years with him, so, you know, he was phenomenal. That That was the prime of his career. Like the one year he won the Norris and the heart and that was legitimate. He was that good. Like he was dominant um, and he could play any position, like any style of play. You know, he ran our power play at a bomb of a shot. Um, he played 30 plus minutes a night. He was mean and nasty. Um, he was so, I always tell, I, I coached Tyler Myers here in Kelowna and he was a big guy and I always tried to, I had to teach him how to use his reach and his length. He didn't quite understand how much ice he could control by being six foot eight with that long stick and everything. And that's what prongs was so great at. And he was so efficient the way he played. um, He was never out of position. Like you rarely saw Chris pronger in a foot race because he was caught. Um, And if you did, out came the the long stick and, and he would snuff it out. So he was so efficient and so smart on where he was on the ice. Like, He'd come in after a game. He played thirty minutes, and his hair would be dry. You know, he, he, it was just easy for him. He was so good, and he was legitimately, legitimately mean. He was nasty. Um, bit of self preservation. Like you know, if you wanted to take a run at him on the forecheck, like you were, you were coming through his stick. Like his stick was up in your face, and that's just the way he played. Um, it was. He was really, really impressive for sure. Yeah. You wouldn't leave a corner battle with him without something, an extra yeah, hack or getting a or whack. And, and he had that long, heavy stick too. Like even if he gave you a tap when he was fooling around, it hurt. You know, it was just <laughs> – had that extra bite to it. <laughs> is, is there any lessons
1: from him? Like, of, of course, like, I mean, playing that way is hard though too. I mean, I say, I say that to players when I'm when I'm working with them now one-on-one. I'm like, you know, if, if I feel that's an element of their game that they can either expose or, you know, grow, uh, you know, doing that 82 times a year is is, is not easy. Right. I mean, cause you do want to yeah. be consistent with that, but like it was that part of his personality, any lessons in the way he practiced or he prepared that would, you know, that, that, that you could, you could give these, some of these players out there.
0: Well, he didn't practice a lot and real hard. Like he, he saved himself for the games for sure. I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had that wiry lanky build too. So I think that was probably a part of why he was able to avoid major injuries. Maybe, you know, like it, it wasn't a big boned guy, uh, kind of had skinny legs. Um, he was muscly, but not you know for how hard and physical and strong he was, he was pretty wiry. But yeah, he he um, he was all about playing the games. He was ready to go come game time. Practice time was a little different.
1: Right, right. Sure. He was the Allen Iverson of hockey. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: He had yeah. To sometimes those guys point. are
1: nasty. I remember I had a few couple examples at pro. I mean, well, one and not even close to the same obviously player, but Greg Smith. Uh, I don't know if you remember him Bird Dog Greg Bird Dog, Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, he uh, like he was nasty on the ice during games but he you did not want to go near him in practice either. I mean that was That's just right? that was just the way he was, you know? Yeah. Like he was yeah. and he was always that way. He was always on, you know? And it was yeah. just uh, it was just one of those ones where where you knew and I was wondering how how prongs was because I, I figured that would be hard to turn on and turn off, you know? Um that that level.
0: Yeah, he w- I I didn't have to go against him. Like the forwards yeah. did, so they might have a different perspective of it. But I, I didn't think he was too bad. Yeah, what um, it,
1: we'd be fools not to talk about Gretzky since you had the privilege of playing with him. Like, I mean, what a special thing just in its own right. Um, you know, to be around him for sixty three games uh, that I see there. Like, what was what was that experience like? Of course, it was. You know, I shouldn't say of course. Gretzky was was always great, but at the tail end of his career where he wasn't producing quite where it, like how he was before, what was what was your experience with him just as a person and as a player?
0: Well, it was, like you say, it was just phenomenal just to be around him. You know, he had this aura about him. Um, and I kind of thought too, like, well, he was at the tail end of his career, but I want to say he put up 90-some points that year. You know, he was still phenomenal. Like the right. stuff that he would do, couldn't do it night in and night out. But he had nights where it was like, wow, it was special. I remember one night we went into Vancouver, um, and it was the first game that him and Mark Messier were playing against each other. Mark was in uh, Vancouver Canuck. And there was a lot of hype about the head-to-head matchup. And I want to say Wayne had three and two. Like, it was like old Wayne. Like, he was going to, you know, send a message, and he did. And it was phenomenal. So there was lots of lots of games like that and just the stuff and just being around him every day. Like it was hard. I felt bad for him in a lot of ways. It was hard to be Wayne Gretzky. Like he was so famous. We, you know, I remember Caroline was new in the league back then. You think, well, you go down to Carolina, down to Raleigh, who's going to know Wayne Gretzky. He got recognized everywhere and he got bothered and hounded and he had time for everybody. So it was, it was relentless. You know, we'd get off the bus, we'd pull up, you know, to a hotel in Canada somewhere, and he was gone. He was right through the lobby, gone. He'd go hide, and someone would grab his keys for him, you know, because it was it was nonstop, but uh, right. pretty cool experience, you know, to be around him, to see him, to be, you know, to say I was his teammate at one point. But, uh, yeah, every once in a while, he'd show flashes of the old uh, in his prime Gretzky, and it was special.
1: Right. Yeah, well, you're right. He had 90 points. He led the Rangers in scoring that year, 23 yeah. goals. Yeah, and I think um, he only played a couple of years after that, right? Yeah. Yeah. What, what was, like, he's one of those guys. I mean, I had the privilege of playing against against him in my 41 games at Madison Square Garden. So, I mean, that was super cool, too, like, to be able to to do that and say I was on the same ice with him. But it, it he's one of those guys. Like, if you watch him in his prime, he was doing special things. But then – it, it to me, he was, like, hard to figure out about how he was so successful, especially towards the tail end because he made it look so easy. You know, like, the assistant, yeah, yeah, yeah. the stuff that he would do. Like, what did you what did you pick up from him that was just, like, kind of his, his special quality?
0: Just, just the way he thought the game, how, how he was one step ahead of everything that was going on on the ice. Now, he didn't play, like, we had a really good team. We missed the playoffs. So he kind of had his own set of rules for his, the way he was going to play the game. Um, so there was a lot of cheat in his game and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, just his passing ability, the way he saw the ice, how he was always, you know, anticipation, like I said, one, one step ahead. It was what he was famous for. Right. But when you see it all the time, you know, you, you really could notice it. Yeah, that's, uh.
1: He's obviously a crazy special player, and I mean the, the the thing that people almost like what he's almost known for now is just with his ambassadorship, right? I mean, just yeah. what a great yeah. guy he's been for the game, and you I mean it's hard to find anybody that that will have a bad story about Wayne Gretzky, you know? Like he's absolutely just been, that's you know, what I mean. Like
0: that was was so hard for him because he didn't want to say no to anybody, um, and so it, he was just it was hounded relentless. Like I remember, you know, where we used to get changed every morning when we come to practice. Um, he had a big table in front of his stall every day that was laid out with stuff for him to sign. So that was the first thing he did when he got to the rink. Every morning was sign this table full of stuff every day. Like it was nonstop for him. Right. So, yeah. yeah, every day of his life. That's yeah. Crazy.
1: Um, the other guy was, was Lindros. Anything about Lindros? I, I, uh, I had him. So my first game ever, Finner, which is kind of for the Leafs, uh, flew in from the minors. Leafs were uh, playing hosting the Flyers and for whatever reason my line uh which was like Kiprios and Brendan Convery we were matched up against Lindros and the Legion of Doom so that was like you know Leclerc and Renberg and um he ended up getting four goals I think later that day or whatever like we it was an, it was not pretty uh and what a beast uh he was like what was what was that like you saw him in his
0: kind of his prime too correct well I think he was still only 19. so he was just getting going Um, but I want to say six five two forty five. like he was built like a football player, you know, really he was chiseled. He he looked like a middle linebacker. So, you know, that was when I guess train guys weren't as big and training was just starting to become a part of it, but he was way ahead of everybody just with his size and physical specimen. Um, I remember the year at training camp, we did sort of a test. It was a bit of a conditioning test, but part of it was to judge your speed. So you did three laps as fast as you could. you you recovered. And then you did three laps the other way, and they, they measured your drop-off to see you know if you could maintain the same pace. Well, he yeah. led our he led the the camp with the fastest three laps. Like he was 245 pounds and the fastest player on our team. Like he was an absolute beast, like you said. And he got in some fights that year with some of the toughest guys in the league. I think he could have been a legitimate heavyweight, maybe the toughest guy in the league if he wanted to be, if he was right. you know just that player, like yeah. that's how tough he was. Um, and just, he'd just go through people and mean, he had a mean streak too, you know, like yeah. if you wanted to you know, go that way with him, then he, he didn't back down and he'd take runs at guys. And yeah, he was, yeah, really he was depressed.
1: too bad. He was so big and powerful. Cause that's really kind of what ended it for him. Right. Like the, his style kind of, of his life. demise, eh, the way he
0: played, you know, probably you can imagine him as a youngster going, just going through people. Right. And didn't learn how to, you know, skate with his head up, I guess.
1: Well, but and everyone's head's different, right? Like that's what's yeah, so crazy yeah, too. You know, yeah, yeah. like um, you know, I don't think Ty Domi, you could ever knock him out.
0: Oh, no kidding. You know what I mean? Like there's just some oh, guys yeah, like that, right? right.
1: Like and, and and maybe that was just like Lindros was like was his soft spot was his head, right? I mean, there's nothing
0: you can do about that, and you can't even train it. But like, yeah, but I just think know. looking back at the hits that he took, he was skating with his head down with the puck on his stick. Yeah, you know what I mean. Which yeah. is probably an old habit that he was just able to do when he was younger because he was just so much bigger and more powerful yeah that's a great point
1: just want to take a short break to talk about the peak potential hockey project if you are a player out there that really wants to make the most of your ability of your potential if you want to uncover every rock and every stone and if you want to give yourself a competitive advantage on the competition This is something that you will absolutely love. Uh, I haven't seen anything like it anywhere else. Um, It's going to teach you how to build confidence. It's going to teach you how to manage adversity. It's going to teach you growth mindset for hockey players, how to make the most of your development time, how to become a pro, the things you need to focus on to become a pro, uh, how to to analyze your game and self-assess, not only in the moment, but also post-competition. It's going to prepare you Uh, for competition, how to recognize your emotional state and how to create the emotional state required for you to play your best. Uh, There's so much covered over the four weeks. It is an absolute treasure trove of valuable nuggets that no one is talking about anywhere. Uh, So players, I can walk you through this program. In the guided portion of the program, you can take the the program three different ways. One is a guided. That's where you're going to have accountability with me. There's going to be a coaching call every four weeks. After every week, which there is a theme involved in that week, we will cover that on a coaching call. You get on a call with me, I make sure you're applying it and using the information to the best of uh, your ability. There's also a solo mission. You can get the program, the four-week program, as a solo mission. You don't have access to me. Uh, There's no interaction, but you do have all the contact, you do get every lesson, you take it as you want, as you see fit, and you have access to that program for six months. Or there is also the mentored mission, and that is a one-on-one scenario where I walk you through the course on a very personal level. We do every assignment. I review the assignments. We, we make sure you're applying it and using it and, uh, and really building your toolbox of skills that you need. Most players only focus on their shot and their edge work and their skating and all these physical skills that are required to be a good hockey player. What we aren't building, actively building, is our mindset skills and our mental fitness for how to use our physical abilities in all moments when the stage is the biggest and the lights are the brightest or when it's the darkest of moments and when things aren't going well and how do we show up and stay true to our goals and stay true to our dreams how do we build our personal um our personal repertoire of traits you know how how do we build our commitment how do we build our passion how do we build our competitive spirit these are all things that we talk about in the course that really arm you with the best chance of reaching your peak potential which if you're a player with big dreams you are going to want to extract as much out of your uh, your journey as you can and out of your inherent uh, skill set as you can uh, along the way to potentially a pro career or a D1 scholarship. So uh, really proud of the over 100 players that have now taken the course and the results and the testimonials. Uh, it's... <laughs> It, it it's, it's so long and, it, and it's it's something that I'm really humbled by. It's also something I'm very grateful for. And it's something that gets me even more passionate to be on a platform like this and to be able to promote it. Because I know that players need this. And I really encourage you to get involved in it. Um, in one of the three ways that I discussed already. Uh, get on board. You should have done it yesterday. You should have done it last week. You should have done it last year. Uh, this is something that's going to help you and it's going to be, you're going to be able to use it not only in hockey but in your, in your, in your life. Uh, these are life skills as well as hockey skills and, uh, and the breakthroughs that players make in this and the, and the developmental strides that they make is, is, is really powerful. So again if you want to check that out www.upmyhockey.com it is the Peak Potential Hockey Project and uh, I hope to see you enrolled and see your name there and I look forward to working with you. Now back to the episode with Jeff Finley. So now as uh as a hockey dad, you, you mean, you got the, you got the three boys, Jack Mason and Max. Um, Jack was a high pick to, to, uh, uh, Tampa and and Mason. Is it his draft year this year? Next year. Next year's his draft Next year. year. Yeah. And then you got Max coming along here is going to be a high pick in the Bantam draft. How is, uh, how has that been now transitioning from doing your pro thing and now trying to support your, your own boys on, on their journeys? Is it. Is it getting mucky for you at all, or has it been pretty smooth?
0: Uh, well, I think it was – I would say it was maybe muckier when they were younger. You know, like you're trying to – I don't know how it is there for you, but here it was always kind of – you're trying to align yourself with good people. I, I, With the scouting, I was away a lot, so I couldn't coach them as the head coach, all of them. You know, I helped out as much as I could. So trying to, you know, make sure they're – coached by good people that have the same philosophies that I sort of had as you know development uh, um and I'd say it's now it's it's more fun just watching them trying to help them give them advice you know you know I'll give them a few tips on some shifts or some things that I think they could do differently in their their games and stuff Um it's a little nerve-wracking at times you know you want the best for them you know Jack um he's got cut a couple times from Hockey Canada the Halenka team and then most recently got cut from the world junior team. So that was hard, you know, watching him go through those struggles. But uh getting drafted was phenomenal, like just an incredible experience. So happy for him, you know, and his uh fulfilling his dream and and watching that growth and and everything. So um it's been exciting. It's been hard at times for sure. Um, they're all different, you know. You gotta handle them. It's like coaching, you know, you, you gotta handle each guy a little bit differently. And and how you push the different buttons and stuff but you know they're all different players in their own right um and and it's been fun and it's just been fun being a hockey dad for sure
1: when it comes to that development aspect and you're talking about coaching like if you were uh well i mean i guess the one you still like max you had you had a choice this year At, at, at a certain point you don't have a choice right i mean the coach is the coach um uh, with, with Max, you, you, you were able to decide to go to rink, which is one of the local academies here, and Jerome McGinley is his coach. And, um, you know, you could have put him probably wherever you wanted to. W- with the minor hockey, even previous to that, is that is, do you think that's the most important influence or the most important factor for parents to, to try and navigate and try and get, get, get going for their kids?
0: Well, it's a hard decision, right? Because it's, it's a huge commitment uh, financially. So, um, you know, we went through it with Jack, uh, I think, you know, he played his first year Bantam, Jack did, and he was on the AAA team. And then he started to, you know, I was at games and I started to run into some scouts and and they liked him. They were excited for him next year. So then I started to realize, okay, well, it looks like he's on the radar. He's probably going to get drafted. So that was that helped in the decision to get him to an academy. Max was kind of the same way. He was, um, He's always been a pretty good player. Um, got the he played, you know, last year wasn't wasn't much of a season for anybody, obviously. Got the call from Rink and Jerome was the coach and Titan so then that's exciting. That's a bit of a no-brainer. Um, and then Mason was a totally different. He broke his collarbone twice in his 14-year-old year when when the season started, uh, there wasn't an option to go to an academy. You know, he, he didn't start playing until till November. So it was totally different. Um, and he only ended up playing eight games that year. So uh, it's a hard decision um you have to be ready for it for sure uh it's it's grueling and, and demanding on them you know it's it's not once a week up at six six in the morning for practice it's every day so it's it's tiring it's physical um you know it's on the ice five days a week but if if you're committed to it and 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 uh, you think there's upside there as a player and you, and you want it it's definitely worth it um we've had nothing but great experiences with the academies right
1: is it the uh, what what is the biggest benefit just as, as I, mean, I guess for the I, I think a lot of parents like like that draft year right like and for the players right. too right i mean they they yeah. want that's a big year for them just from you know, getting, getting their name on the board kind of right. And, yep. uh, and, and where they fit and, and, and all that stuff. And I know that the, uh, the academy system out here is, is, is highly scouted. Is that, is that part of the decision? Like were you kind of chasing that for them to, to give them the best opportunity to, to go as high as they could?
0: Yeah, you are. I think so. And I, and I think you got to look at it. I'm a big believer in development, right? So if if you don't, if you stay behind and you play for your local minor hockey team, you're not getting the amount of ice time. Um, you're not getting the uh, caliber of play that you're playing with and the guys that you're playing against. So if you're playing with and against the best players, ton of ice time off ice commitment as well, you know, you know, there's training, um, in the gym and stuff like that. So there you, you learn, you start to begin to learn about that as part of it. So I think, yeah, it's, um, if, if, if you have aspirations of you know, moving on in hockey, then it. It's something that, as difficult as it is financially, it's your best option for sure. Right. Which brings so that there's a tough
1: next question, right? And maybe not necessarily at you, but like the problem with hockey being expensive. Right, like just in general, it's an inherently expensive sport. Yeah, the NHL's done is, is trying to do a great job of like you know making it inclusive and diverse and yeah. and all these other things that that, that they're trying to promote. But at the end of the day, there's still a check that needs to be written. And and uh, like the one thing for me with the academies is that like you said, I mean, it's a big financial uh, commitment that a lot of families can't make. You know, like they just generally can't make it. Um, if you're one of those families, like. I try and I try and trumpet that you I mean you you can develop and you will get found. If, if you just kind of do the right things, like is there is there a silver lining there, or is there a solution to try and make this more accessible to more people?
0: That's a tough question, and and I don't know. And I think you're right. I mean, you can stay back and be the big fish in a small pond in your minor hockey organization for sure. Um, those guys are are still getting scouted for sure, you know, teams that are doing their job properly. Are seeing everybody. You know, they're you know, they're leaving no stone unturned. So I guess the biggest thing for me is do you get left behind in your development if you if you stay there and you don't get the amount of ice time you don't play against in the best league and against the best players? So that's kind of where I was at with that whole decision. Um and I think that's a big part of, you know, I've seen it with my boys, they they've really improved. You know, and I've been fortunate to be in great academies, both had really good coaches and the growth in their game from September to now has been huge. So, yeah, that's that's a big thing. Can you still develop at the same rate, you know, staying back and playing minor hockey as you would if you were at an academy? That's that's the. That's the thing. They really, Everyone's
1: different too, I guess. I mean, not every you said you said it yourself, right? I mean, there's a huge demand there, and these kids are young. A lot of them making that decision, and sometimes it's not them making the decision; it's the parents, and they're really yeah. not quite frankly ready for it. I don't even yeah. like the game as much as they need to to do that, for sure, right? For sure. So, I think that there is some some qualifications that need to be made there. But just on my own personal soapbox, like that's where I think BC hockey and hockey Canada in general is like missing where the game is going. You know, like they're still operating in like from twenty years ago. Whereas you know the games evolve, and people want more. So at the higher levels of like whether it's AAA, major bantam, or whether it's, you know even even at our level that I just coached this year, like U thirteen, there should be another option. You know, like as far as another practice back in you know, minor hockey.
0: Yeah, you in know I mean. Like yeah, I'm, I agree. Yeah, yeah to, allow, yeah, to allow players to stay because
1: I still love the idea that hockey's community based. Like I like that idea. I like the yeah. grassroots of that. You know, I like people staying at home and being with their families. Like, all oh, that sounds good to me, but hockey's got to catch up to allow that to happen. You know, me and yeah. hockey, like hockey yeah. Canada, like grow the programs, like give people what they want. So they don't, they're not really forced into the decision of, you know, the 25 grand decision, you know, yeah. like, yeah. So anyway, that's mm-hmm. a whole nother discussion, but yeah. yeah, I mean, it's tough. Cause we're, I'm going through it right now too. Right. I mean, Hudson, my oldest is just uh, finishing his, his uh, last year, Pee peewee here. He's a good little player thinks he wants to be a hockey player. It's like, now what, you know, like yeah, now yeah. what? And now it's when, and now is when the, now what happens, right? There's yeah, all these yeah. different options, right?
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so yeah, I mean, you're not, uh, you've been through it and I thought maybe you could shine some light there and, uh, and there's many paths, I guess. That's the thing that I just say. Cause I mean, you want to keep up with the Joneses for those listening right now, you know, like yeah. you do, you do see other players doing these other things and you want to be a part of it, uh, just keep your nose down and keep going, you know, like yeah, if you love yeah. play, you know?
0: Yeah. Just, and you have to be ready game. for it too. Like I said, and you said, your son's a good little player. My boys were both pretty good players, you know, in the top of their age group. So that decision or that helped make the decision easier. Like if you're not, there's no point chasing it. If if you're not ready for that, and if you don't feel like you're going to be one of the top players and get the most out of the experience, it's okay to stay back and just continue to to develop and, and you know, there's extra stuff you can do. There's extra skill stuff that you can do, you know, to try and catch up. So it's not, you know, just to to keep up just because you feel you have to, because you're going into your draft year, you know, it, it's not for everybody for sure. Yeah, And it doesn't mean that you won't ever make it. Right. That's a great point too. And
1: actually I've had that discussion with parents. Like if you actually, if, if the finances and for vast majority of people, it is a big consideration, but like, you know let's just say the academy's 25k just for round numbers and let's just yeah. say a minor hockey experience is 10 um let, let's say you took five grand extra and i can put that just into personal private right. player yeah. development you mean yeah. you're getting a pretty darn good experience yeah. there on on your own and,
0: right and it's out there there's options for sure
1: yeah there's options yeah. for sure so um sometimes there could be a good hybrid approach that might be nice at the younger ages too yeah um, Uh, we we're running up on time. I told you this was going to happen, but I want to talk about the scout scenario. So like you've been scouting now for a while. Um, I know there's a lot of listeners here that, you know, have aspirations to get drafted or to be an NHL player. Uh, the way the game's going now, uh, like how, how does it work for you? You enter a rink, like maybe just walk through what being a, what being a scout is and, and, and how you evaluate a player. Because I know when I first saw my first, evaluation form, like I had no idea what scouts were looking at, you know, and, and how right. they break you down. So maybe yeah. you can shine a little light on that.
0: Well, and the interesting thing about it is it's so objective too, right? Like you and I, we could be working for the same organization. And that's the great thing about it is we could go watch a game and watch the same player and come away with two different kinds of opinions, you know, how he played, what his skating was like, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then that's what you do. You debate it and you sort of hash it out. And then you, f- you figure out what you think that guy is. And then i think the thing in scouting too is you're always like you said trying to project what's the ceiling you know when we're looking at kids for the nhl draft we're always saying okay the first rounders are the first rounders they're they're the best of the group the cream of the crop and so they're easier to figure out than the rest of them you're trying to project what could he be as an nhl player right so that's what we're trying to figure out and so much is a part of it now like the game has obviously evolved skating is a huge factor um, but it's hard. It's hard. Like, I'll, I'll tell you a perfect example is Mark Stone. When Mark Stone was 17, he played for the Brandon Wheat Kings. Uh, he looked like he had his skates on the wrong feet. Like it was really, really bad. Um, and he went in the sixth round and he's a superstar in the NHL, you know, like, so you never can tell, like as much as we say, oh yeah, he's not a great skater. He's not a Braden point. Perfect example. He went in the third round cause he was small and he wasn't an elite skater for a small player. So it it got better. So it's hard. So we're looking at all kinds of different things. Um, Skill, skill level is obviously a part of it. Compete is a huge part of it. You're not going to play in the NHL if you're not super competitive. Um, Can I stop
1: you on that one? That's a great one. And and that's something that I talk about a lot with the people that I work with. And even the program that I created is that competitive spirit is, is the name that I wrote. But like sometimes players have a hard time really understanding what that, like, what is that? Right. I mean, like, what what does that look like on the ice or maybe even off the ice or maybe even in their personality, like away from the rink? Like what, what do you when you when you say that word and you're watching for what does that look like?
0: Well, I guess it's um, it's just a desire to, to I guess deep down, it's a desire to win. Right. So what is that? So compete for every player is going to look a little bit different. Uh, you know, if you're a big, heavy winger that that's a crasher and a banger then that's what you're going to do and we're going to see that and you're going to go to the hard areas you're going to finish all your checks but if you're a small skilled guy uh, and that's not your game well how easily are you knocked off the puck how easily are you pushed to the outside or how determined are you to get to the to the inside to play in the hard areas to get your scoring opportunities you know those are different ways of looking at compete that's the way my take on it is for sure So it's something you know it's it's not that you can pinpoint it exactly but it's 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 a it's a willingness and a desire to do whatever you can in that situation puck battles you know physical play um doing what you can to look like you're doing everything you can with your abilities. Yeah.
1: Yeah, no I think that's a great way of putting it because a guy like uh, I don't know why Panarin comes to mind he just does to me right now like he 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 doesn't intimidate anyone physically. Um, you know, he obviously has great skill set, but you watch how many times he takes the puck off somebody in the corner. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like his compete level there and his stick lifting and his ability to, you know, yeah. 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 Like he has that compete level. Like to me, he has a a high amount of competitive spirit, right. In his own way. Yeah. Um, and that manifests different in any, in different players. And that's part of that identity thing. I think we were talking about earlier, right? Like, yeah. Everyone's different. What type of player are you knowing that? And how do you show that compete within the confines of what you are? Exactly. You know? Exactly. Because um, the intangibles is what players just don't get. I, I think, you know, like everyone's so po- production focused and they, they don't realize that you're watching a defenseman like their exits, for, I'm sure, I, I assume you watch a, a player's exits, right? Now they're using analytics yeah. on that. I mean, how does, does the puck yeah. get out of the zone after he touches the puck? Or when he yeah. gives the puck to somebody else, yeah. can that person do something with the puck at that point, right? Yeah, exactly, like,
0: yeah. People exactly. don't usually
1: think like that. I mean, the 17-year-old <laughs> defenseman probably doesn't analyze their game and on their exits, but that's like a huge factor for at the yeah. pro game.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I coached um, Luke Shen in Kelowna, and he was – back then when he was in his draft year – you could tell what type of player he was going to be at the NHL level, exactly what he's turned into, a hard, rugged, stay-at-home, shut-down type of player. He was obsessed with his points. Like, every day he'd come in and worry about he he wasn't getting enough points because he was worried about that part of his game for the draft. And, and we were we were getting frustrated, to be honest with you. Like, Luke, like, the team that drafts you isn't drafting you to run their power play. So be great at what you're good at, you know, like, and he went right to the NHL. So when he was uh, 19, so he figured it out, but yeah, that, but yeah. you're exactly right. Everyone's so focused on production and not realizing there's so much more to the game, especially for different players. Like it takes all, all kinds of players to make up a team, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Good pieces to the puzzle. Yeah, uh, Scott Scott Nickel famously said on this program, he goes, "You can't have twenty milk drinkers."
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I
1: love that one. He's like, "You need some personality." And he was talking about obviously the the, the different components of a team that that make it a team, right? So, yeah, um, did you 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 did say earlier that you find it harder to find guys that want to you know play hard, I guess, or compete for lack of a better word, in the more traditional kind of hockey sense? Uh, are, are those players becoming? You know, are you looking for those players more actively now? Like somebody that can fill that third line role that wants to play mean and big?
0: Yeah, I think they probably get pushed up your list for sure because they are harder to find. Um, and and when you see them play like that consistently, especially when they're seventeen, then you you, you think, wow, they're you know, that's a guy that I'd, I'd like to get my hands on because, it, like I said, it's an element of the game that's harder to find in young kids for sure. I think, you know, back when you and I played, we probably got pushed a little bit harder to play that way. And everyone, you know, sort of, and then either you did or you didn't, then you fell by the wayside. But now kids don't get pushed to play that way. So when you find it, when it looks like it's natural for a kid, he's got a bit of an edge to him. He's got a little FU in his game. And uh, for sure, it's it's a quality or a skill set that, that we value,
1: definitely. All right. Yeah, the way when I when I'm talking to to players now, why I think it's like even more valued is because it has it has a bigger impact too. Like on the other on the other team, yeah, you know, like yeah, they're harder to find, but it also you can impose your will a, quite a bit easier now. And some of these skill guys, if you want to call them skill guys, right, you make their yeah. life a little bit harder, and it makes it yeah. easier for them to go away.
0: Yeah, know? for sure. And there's not as much fighting. There's not as much as much accountability. So there still is intimidation in the game, like you say. So if you can play that way, and really you don't have to look over your shoulder, like who's gonna make me answer the bell, it's a big factor for sure.
1: Is there any type of top-down approach? Like, so you're with the Jets right now. Does does the GM say, like, say the new GM comes in and says, "Hey, we want our team to look like this." Like, I don't know. Like, I'm just using an example. Like everyone has to skate. That's the number one thing I want. I want all of our prospects to be able to skate. Like, th- is there any type of like top down approach for like a philosophy for the type of player you- you're looking for?
0: Um, I haven't seen it with the jets as much now. Um, Chevy, Kevin Cheveldayoff stays out of it. Um, just kind of lets the guys do their thing. Um, I was with Ken Holland for 10 years in Detroit. He was more about compete and can you win with them? He was all about, you know, maybe you like this guy. He's a nice player. He might show up in the NHL one day. Can you win with him? Is Does he have what it takes to win a cup? So he, there was more of that mandate, I would say, from Ken than I've seen so far in Winnipeg from Chevy as much. But having said that, we still discuss it all the time, you know, amongst our staff when we're evaluating players and we're trying to put our list together. You know, we like this player, but, you know, is this a guy you'd rather play with or play against, you know? So that's that's the way we put it.
1: That's a great line. I think Tyler Wright said that exact same thing. Who was who uh, was a Ken Holland guy? That must have been said right. in the in the room a little bit there. I love that line. Um, yeah, because like some teams have an identity. I I, I just kind of wondered that now, like from uh, you know being a part of it, and and now like from the outside seeing how teams are created and manufactured. Right? right? Like there's yeah. a yeah. you know there's a culture around some teams, it looks like they kind of look for a certain type of player to facilitate that that organizational kind of trait if for lack of a better word you know right
0: I think with us you know you're, you're looking especially in the first round you don't want to miss you want to find you know you put your list together not positionally just the best player that you think you know who's got the most upside for whatever they're going to be as a player and that's in the first round and then after that you're just kind of just trying to figure out without an actual mandate like we want to we want fast you know or we want heavy players or you know it's just sort of just taking the best available and the guys that you think have a chance to become some sort of an NHL player in, in some capacity down the road
1: is there ever a transition um between like the physical skill set and the personal makeup like I mean lack of a better word maybe the character I know you guys get involved in that and you want to know the person and the and the history of the person and kind of what they're all about but does that in my mind, like I see, like somebody who's like super talented. Sometimes you will overlook a few of the warts, maybe when it comes to to one side, right? But then I I would I would suspect that as you kind of go down the spectrum, on the talent spectrum, now you're really looking for those character, good, you know, human pieces that that uh, that they're going to bring that to the table. Like how do you how do you do those intangibles as a scout?
0: Yeah, that's definitely a part of it. It's hard to know, right? These kids are young, and they're seventeen, and they're still trying to figure it out themselves. You know, they got so many different things influences in their lives. You know, so there's an element of luck to it for sure. Um, you know, you I, I know you had Dennis Holland on here bef- before. I don't know, did he talk about Jamie Ben? Like, if everyone thought Jamie Ben was going to be what Jamie Ben turned out to be, the, he would have got drafted a lot higher than the fifth round, right? So there's an element of luck for sure. Uh, We do more, I would say we do a little bit more research now than maybe we did when I first started. You're trying to find out as much about the kid's makeup as you can. And again, you know, you interview them, you talk to them, you try and get a feel for them. You know, is there a fire there? You know, are they going to push through? You know, they got things they, like you said, they got works, they got to get stronger. You know, are they committed to the off ice stuff, you know? So it's all stuff that you try and gather as much information as you can and make the best decision that you can. And the end of the day like what is after the I don't know what the numbers are but it's it's very minimal that end up playing after the second round so it's a tough job it's tough yeah
1: no, yeah, success rate is low. And that's the main yeah. thing. If you can if you can change the percentages a fraction, right? Like yeah, to find yeah. some type of a secret sauce. I assume you're talking to the coaches a lot. Is that is that one of your resources? you build some relationships? Because, I mean, they're with them every day, right? And if you want to know about yeah. the person, I think that's probably the guy you'd want to talk to. And when I mean the person, I mean like you see the player on the ice. There's also elements that you're going to see the person show up, you know, maybe in an adversity, maybe after a bad call, maybe after a teammate misses him with a pass, you'll see some of these... Yeah personality traits but you know a coach that's with them you know 200 days a year probably sees has more opportunity to see that is that a phone
0: call you make to to ask those questions absolutely absolutely and I I think like you said you you know you try and build relationships with the coaches even assistant coaches you know there's guys that I know better that are assistant coaches where I guess the, the point I'm trying to get is you want you want to get the real scoop you don't want to get the you know, sort of the glossed over because the coach doesn't want to throw his own player under the bus and not get him drafted. Yeah. But you, you know, an ex teammate of yours that's going to say, "Hey, Finner, uh, you know, be careful with this guy." That's you're trying to get the real scoop from you know people that you you have the closest relationship with for sure. So, but yeah, it's definitely a part of it. You know, general managers, scout, even scouts, guys that knew these kids when they were fourteen. You know, I, I run into those guys at the arenas all the time and I'll say, hey, what was this kid like when he was when you guys drafted him back then and stuff like that? So, yeah, you try and find as much people who you trust and, and are going to give you the the straight goods for sure.
1: Right. I always encourage players to build those relationships with the coaches and not in a, you know, not, not in a phony, fabricated way. But like you need you want them to be your biggest fans, you know, like right, you, yeah. you, you want them to know because that's that's where <coughs> a lot of things are going Maybe my last question, and just for the players who are listening, um, I know a lot of scouts have, have reverted or even mandated by their teams to watch a lot of video on players now. It does, you can definitely cover a lot of ground in a short period of time and not be on the road, but I know there's a lot of scouts that love watching the games live because the camera doesn't cover what they want to watch you know, uh, stuff behind the play or, you know, what's he like on a bench um, like that type of stuff. Can you maybe, uh, I don't know how important it is or isn't to you, but just for the players watching who most of our focus on the goals and assists and whether the toe drag was nice, like let them know, like what you're, what you are potentially looking at in a game that's, that's outside of when they have the puck on their stick.
0: Well, we are looking at all those little details that you talked about away from the game. You know, one, like you mentioned body language, you know, how do they react to adverse situations during the game um just different details the way they play within you know sort of a team structure you know do they cheat are they wait are they leaving the zone early are they the last guy coming out of the offensive zone you know um just little things like that that yeah you wouldn't pick up on a video i i like video as a support tool um i don't want to ever i don't i think it's hard when you go in blind not knowing a player and you're getting some you know not great quality video and you're trying to figure out you know what is this skating really like you know it's hard to tell, it's hard to tell even how big they are on the video. But if you go, if you know a player, you feel like you know him really well and you want to go back and watch some of his clips and see, you know, how he, he saw, he had a couple goals last night, let's go watch and see how he scored those goals, you know? Right. Um, so stuff like that, I, like, I think it's a great support tool, but I think, <coughs> excuse me, there's no substitute for watching a game live and and watching all the little things. I mean, I guess that's part of why scouts Got the job is because they have some sort of um, hockey background where they should be able to pick out little details that maybe the train or their trained eye couldn't, that someone else couldn't pick up, right? And and right. things that characteristics of a player that uh, maybe would give them an advantage or disadvantage. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I know. That's great stuff. And, and I think that would be, I mean, for the, for the home runs that you do hit from time to time, and the Jamie Bens in the fifth round and, you know, like those players are really the players that changed the organizational. That's role. right. Yeah. Because you know, yeah. they, they, they're not expected and you can get those guys in there that can contribute. Uh, that somebody saw something, right, that other people yeah. didn't. And uh and, and I think that would be the, like, that's the, that's the fun. I think, you I mean, I, I would suspect for you, right. Yeah. It's like really trying to find those gems, right. Cause yeah. I can walk into a rink and I've said this before, and my wife can walk into a rink and we both know who Connor McDavid is in two seconds.
0: Yep. You exactly. know, that's not
1: hard to see. Yeah. Right. But it's like, how do we find who those other guys
0: are? Right. 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 I think another big part of what's become a big part of the game and in, in organizations, they all do it a little bit differently, but player development after you've drafted them. And so my, I see it with, uh, we talked about my older son, Jack in Tampa, you know, they've sent out Barb Underhill to work with his skating. She gets credited for changing Braden Point skating. Um, they have functional movement people that come out to see him and visit him and work with them and stuff. So that's a big part of helping out now, too, uh, um, the player development team within the organization, too, and help help players get better and 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 be the best they can be.
1: Yeah, well, they have to now, right? With the yeah. salary cap and everything, if you don't have people pay- 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 pay coming out on entry-level deals playing on your big club, you mean you you just can't you can't compete. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's really transitioned that way, which helps these young guys a lot because they do get a ton of resources and a yeah. ton of you know a ton of uh, handholding when it comes to getting their game better. Uh, do you have any type of? Because uh, you see these guys right? I mean, I could imagine like they're almost like you know, and maybe your guy gets picked and you're rooting for him, and then you kind of do hand them off to the player development people, and you got to go back and watch the next crop of kids. Uh, are, are scouts ever involved in in that player development process? Like what you saw
0: or you asked what you saw or what
1: you project they could be? or Is there any type of back and forth when it comes to that?
0: Yeah, a little bit. Surprisingly, not as much as you would think. Um, but, yeah, it's definitely a part of it. Uh, the the problem is it's such a long process. Like you draft a kid, he's not going to show up for five years really before he really might have a chance to maybe get his foot in the door uh, but, you know, not even be an impactful player. So it's such a long route to get there, you know. So you just hope that, yeah, you you find more good ones than bad ones. Uh, I guess that's all you can say. Uh, And you hit on the odd late guy.
1: Yeah, what's well, such a? I mean, it takes a village, right? In that scenario, and you've said it yeah. before. I mean, you might see something, and it takes you know that that player needs to needs to progress and develop, and hopefully that he's getting some support in that, and then he probably needs to find a coach that likes him and wants to him, you know, promote him and yeah. give him opportunity. And there's a lot of things that got to go right. And you and I both know Definitely. that from a personal level, right? Yeah. Um, you could do a good job from a coaching standpoint, but there can be a lot of. I mean, not from a coaching, from a scouting standpoint, there can be a lot of things that happen between then and you know whatever his opportunity right. is or isn't but right. anyways i don't want to keep you it's been an hour and 15 so I, I will let you go um could probably talk hockey all afternoon it's uh there's so much to talk about but really appreciate finner you coming out if there if there was one last word of advice for for anyone who who wants to try and get drafted and and, and impress the likes of someone like you is there is there anything you want to leave them with
0: oh boy i don't know i guess just um just love the game, you know, play like you love it, play with passion and compete. And um, yeah, it, it shows, it shows when we watch a game and we watch kids time and time and time again, like you're being evaluated over the course of, of um, the entire season. And, and, and actually over the course of three years, you know, for kids that are in junior, like if you don't get drafted when you're 17, we're drafting kids when they're 19 all the time. So uh, don't be discouraged by it, you know, play cause you love it. And and it'll show up and uh, hopefully works out for you. But yeah,
1: yeah, I think that is the biggest thing is finding and find, joy coming to the rink. You know, yep. you know, enjoy enjoying yep. that because it makes all the other BS manageable, right? Like, and that's one of the things I talk about with the players too. Is you know, and like your son, for instance, being a, like finding finding some type of passion in that fourth line role, like something he yeah. look yeah. forward to coming there. Yep. Like that's a skill because you're yeah. gonna. You got to get through it, right? You yeah, got to get through it. And yeah. if you only love hockey because you're on the PP scoring 50 goals, I mean, that's not going to last very long probably, yeah. you know?
0: <laughs> no, we've had, you know, we've had some difficult conversations, you know, he's down and, and rightfully so, you know, he's never gone through this in in his hockey career. So uh, he's battling through it and he's trying to stay as positive as he can. And I give him credit because he plays hard when he, in the limited role that he plays, you know, he's, he's added some elements to his game you can tell he's learned to play with some structure and he's battling along the walls and protecting yeah. the puck and and doing a lot of things so you can tell he's he's being taught and he's learning and he's trying to apply them as best he can but it's discouraging right when you think you're doing everything that you can and oh, you played well but you're out of the lineup tomorrow so yeah
1: it, it's to show up again the next day right just like playing in yeah, so and say, or playing you, and...
0: like to your point if you don't love it yeah and, and have passion for it. It's hard to battle through those moments.
1: Awesome, man. Well, thanks again for your time. Uh, you've been My a fantastic guest I and mean, there's a lot of, a lot of gold nuggets there for, for the players and, um, and, and parents listening. So I uh, appreciate that Finner and we'll, uh, our paths will cross again soon. I'm sure.
0: Absolutely. At a minor hockey rink. It sounds like, yeah, it sounds yeah. good. Cheers. Okay. Bye. Take care.
1: Thank you for sticking around to the end, uh, faithful audience, faithful listener. I thought uh, that conversation was was just fantastic. What, what a what a wide range of topics we could cover because of uh, Jeff's own personal involvement in the sport. I mean, from all different angles, whether it be a personal uh, personal experience of his as a player, uh, you know, going through the junior ranks and and the AHL pro system and becoming a, a solid. 700 game NHL or be as a parent who is now trying to support like the rest of us, their own, uh, his own players journeys and child's journeys throughout the uh, junior ranks to try and get the development needed and try and give them the opportunities they can to become uh, the players that they want to and make their dreams come true. And also his involvement as a, as a amateur scout for an NHL team, trying to identify talent and evaluate talent and project talent, um, and what he looks for in that. So what a great guest. Uh, really thankful that, that you were able to, to, uh, to listen to, to all the nuggets and, and grateful for you, Jeff, if you are listening for, for being able to share all that, uh, insider information. Uh, my big takeaways today were, were one, I mean, Jeff's ability to be mature enough to evolve his game, to allow himself the opportunity to become an NHL regular. This is not an easy thing for a lot of us to do. Uh, and I'm not encouraging youth athletes to do this because we want to keep you know, the projections high and the bar high and I want us to strive for more and, and become more. But there is going to be moments in time where a role will be decreased or diminished or you're going to be asked to do something that you feel uh, isn't something maybe you even want to do. Um, it might be something that you feel is beneath you, for lack of a better word. Uh, but being able to find passion and being able to find pride Uh, in that thing and for Jeff it was becoming a stay-at-home dependable defensive defenseman and that ability to change and that ability for him to embrace that and to become that allowed him to play 700 games in the NHL Uh, if he didn't make that decision and if he tried to continue to be the offensive guy and and didn't take care of his own end Uh, he would have continued to be the up-and-down guy that would have been a good player in the minor leagues but would have never got this chance to establish himself at the NHL level. So uh, we have to be willing to grow and we have to be willing to adapt. And sometimes that growth is really being able to embrace something that doesn't feel like growth, which is taking on a role that isn't a production role but is filling the need for the team that you are on. Uh, That is one thing that I do talk about with junior players, especially when they do make the jump to junior for you junior players out there listening or who are trying to get to junior. When you level up, you're often not in the role that you want to be. You might want to be a power play guy. You might want to be the guy who's who's uh, looked upon to score the big goal in the big moment because most of the players that go to the junior levels were that player for their club team at home. So transitioning to somebody who's in and out of the lineup or transitioning to somebody who's maybe taking a PK responsibility or or really just needs to be dependable on their own end, that is okay. There is nothing wrong with owning that role for that particular year and trying to do that to the best of your ability. That doesn't mean you don't want to strive to get more minutes, that you don't want to strive to become a power play guy. But in that moment, if you're given the opportunity to own some type of a role, if you're given the opportunity to own a piece of that team and be a piece of that puzzle, just do it. It doesn't mean that that's what you're going to be next year. A lot of times this is, this is the road to have greater impact, to have a greater responsibility. And I see players all the time get in their own way because they're frustrated with the role that they've been given. If you can keep a good uh, attitude and if you can keep your eyes on the prize and just embrace what it is that's being asked of you and do it with deliberateness and do it with conviction and do it with a smile on your face. Uh, You're not only growing the roots of your foundation for the rest of your hockey career, you're not only building your resiliency and your adaptability, but you're also earning trust from your coaches and from your teammates. And uh, and that trust is something that takes a while to earn. And you will be given greater responsibility. That's just the way it goes. Sometimes we don't see it though, because right? the, the the path or the runway is a lot longer than players see sometimes. We can only see what's right in front of us and what's happening right now. Uh, so keep that in mind. I think that's a great lesson from this episode is that uh, we can grow. We can definitely grow and we want to grow, but we need to own where we're at right now in order for that growth to happen. So... That's all I got for you today. Thanks again for listening to the end. And until next time, play hard and keep your head up.
0: Just watch me